Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions, an opportunity for you to get a seat at the table. Today we hear from Dr. Janie Lacey, who over the last 15 years has been helping people break free from their toxic relationship patterns. Make sure to download, subscribe, and share out the Breakfast of Champion podcast because Glenn Lundy believes that if you can change the way people start their day, it'll make a massive impact in their life. So let's pull up a seat and let's join in on Breakfast with Champions. Dr. Janie Lacey, she, I learn every time she speaks, and I'm a former therapist, she helps women heal from toxic relationships. She is the CEO of Life Counseling Solutions. She is the creator of the Women Redeemed program. She is faculty um, at the International Institute of Trauma and Addictions. Every time she talks, we learn. She has a nationally syndicated radio show. Let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. I love that title. If you spend any time with me, my favorite three words are, let's talk about it. That's four words, but with that, I'm turning the mic over to you, Dr. Janie, and thank you again, Glenn, for this opportunity. Great job, Susie. So proud of you. Thank yes. you, Fred. Yes. Absolutely. You, Great job, Susie. Awesome. And it was such an honor and a blessing to meet you in New York and learn more about you. And I'm looking forward to taking this journey with you as we expand the segments on Breakfast with Champions. So we heard a little bit about who Dr. Janie is, but let me tell you a little bit more about who I am for those that don't know me. You know, I grew up in a small town in the good old state of New York, and the small town was called South Fallsburg. And that's relevant for many reasons. There were 77 people. I'm sure there's someone on here that has gotten me beat, but there were 77 people that were in my high school graduation class. And one of those 77, for those that are into uh, pop music, was Gavin DeGraw. And it's interesting that when we look at the 77, when we were in that small town in South Fallsburg in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York, in the wintertime, it would absolutely be dead. And then in the summertime, we would get the Jewish community that would come up from Brooklyn and stay in the bungalows and the hotels, and we would have a different integration along that journey. But while we were in that journey, remember some of the conversations we would have as children was that we could not wait to get out of that town of South Fallsburg. We used to think it was a bad thing. But when we look back today, it is such a blessing because I can name every single one of those 77 people that graduated with me, the ones that are still here and the ones that are no longer here. So those lifelong friendships, 35 plus years combined across the board, we all stay in touch and to see the growth that we've all had, it's just been such a blessing. But while I was growing up in that small town, I had a secret. And that secret, a lot of people didn't know until we were older in college and adulthood as we reflected back on our different experiences growing up in that small town of South Fallsburg. You know, my family was run by alcoholics, that lack mentality, there was no formal education. And I grew up as, as a typical middle child. And what that would mean as a typical middle child is that my mom and my dad were in my household and I had an older sister, I had a younger sister, but we had a spiderweb family. My dad had two previous relationships, so I had half sisters from my father, so it was a, a, a total of eight of us. But in that typical, growing up as a typical middle child, there was a lot of identity issues. And that identity issues, my mom was an African-American, my dad was um, a Puerto Rican through the way of Europe. So we looked very different. And my sister, who's the same exact mom and dad, looks just like me, but she has white skin and I have brown skin. So we had a very different journey growing up in that small town of South Fallsburg because we had different experiences. And it's amazing. I'll invite her on this app so we can talk about that one one of these uh, sessions, but a different experience because when people would look at her, they wouldn't see her as a Puerto Rican or as a black girl. They would see her as a Italian or a white girl. And with me, they didn't know what I was. So it was very common and people say, well, what are you? And I would say, well, I'm a girl, right? So that even to this day, that still happens. But you know, in that situation, there was a learning to children were seen, not heard. There was a trauma, two major traumas that have set my course on fire and that have fueled me into my purpose. And one of those was my mom 
was what we would consider a typical codependent. My dad was not only an alcoholic, but he was a drug abuser as well as a drug seller. And we didn't know this growing up. But when I look back, I had rotten teeth. So from a very early age, my mom would put bottles in our mouth or in my mouth. And I had a lot of milk that would sit on your teeth. So when I got my teeth and now I'm in school, I had rotten teeth, so I didn't speak. And my dad hardly spoke English. So that was another double way of me. So I would not speak because I didn't want people to see my teeth. And when I would talk, I wouldn't pronounce words correctly. So I had to go to speech therapy. So that set a journey for me in particular because I had to navigate through school, had to navigate through presentations. And I was in the MBA program at the University of Central Florida where I got my undergrad. And I was in that program and I had to do a lot of presentations. And when I was doing a lot of presentations, my stomach would just like get into knots and I would obsess about the presentation and I would literally just get sick. And I said to myself, this just cannot continue. So there was a program called the Leadership Enhancement Program. Dr. Valerie King was over that program. She has since passed, but it's still part of the UCF community just to um, include different populations of students. And in that program, I was partnered with, her name was Valeska Wilson, still a friend to this day. And she was a licensed mental health counselor. And I was really curious about a mental health counseling because where I came from, you don't talk to strangers about your problems, let alone you only go to the priest or the pastor unless it's a real, real big problem. So we learned to just, children were seen, not heard. And I hear licensed mental health counselor. I think that's for crazy people, must be for crazy people. But I really dig Valeska. So part of that leadership enhancement program, we had to go around the University of Central Florida and we had to teach common workers, so to speak. They weren't necessarily in uh, management or leadership. They were uh, considered what they would call USPS workers. That would be the secretaries. That would be the supervisors. So we were doing these workshops that they were encouraged to attend. And we would talk about how to bloom where you're planted, how to write your personal mission statement. And through that program, I had went specifically to learn how to publicly speak. So through that, I got introduced to the world of mental health counseling through Valeska. And I got more curious and more curious. And since then, that journey has propelled me. Since then, I've been the relationship expert for the Daily Buzz. I've been on Good Morning America. I've been on CNN. I've been on Fox, among so many other shows as media experts doing my first TEDx talk this November. And I share that to say that no matter where we've come from, what we've been through, that God will propel us on our journey. And there are angels to me along the way. Valeska was an angel for me. And that drive to learn how to publicly speak because I one of the goals I had, I didn't know why I wanted an MBA degree. I just know that I wanted to overcome the uneducation that I saw in my family. I remember when I was in second grade and I asked my dad to help me go over my spelling. And it was in my awareness as in second grade that I realized my dad didn't know how to spell. And then from that moment on, I would see that he would wing things at his company when he had to read the award. He would make jokes and he would learn how to have this jovial personality to distract some of the things that he was ashamed of. So that propelled me to, that's why I have the clinical psychology degree, because not only was it my own personal goal, but it was to break a generational curse that I felt like I was in my family. And then as you heard Susie also mention, you know, I have this Women Redeemed program that is my passion and my purpose and family legacy, that when I was sleeping one night, there was a big bang at the door. And some of you that are listening right now, you either are in a toxic relationship You've been in a toxic relationship. You know someone who's in a toxic relationship. But there's very few that actually know someone that was in a toxic relationship that was trying to leave a toxic relationship that resulted in their murder. And there's a trigger warning for you, but it's tied to my passion. So my sister, her name is Carmen Rivera, and I call her name because she was one of those women that, in domestic violence statistics, was on a restraining order, was leaving that domestically violent relationship and it resulted in the murder, trigger warning, that took her life in front of two of her younger children. And it was amazing to me when I look back at that journey, my family didn't wanna talk about it. We had this big trauma in our family. Our eldest sister, who was a mother, 
who was a sister, who was taking care of and doing her responsibilities, but held that secret so deeply because she was ashamed, because we all saw her as this powerful, powerful woman. So how could this powerful woman be with a man that would lay his hands on her, would abuse her? She kept that secret. But what I realized along the journey is a lot of women keep that secret. So Woman Redeem is birthed in her legacy because there are women that are listening to me now that are CEOs, that are entrepreneurs, that are business owners, that are movers and shakers in their communities, that have toxic relationships, that are married to narcissistic, abusive persons, that are in physically abusive persons. So my sister's no longer here to be able to be redeemed. So the goal is to help other people to be redeemed and to heal from those toxic relationships with their self and others. And that's part of my family legacy. My education and my experiences, I can speak on it and I've seen it time and time again. I've even seen it in my own life. So who is Dr. Janie Lacey? I'm a mother to a nine-year-old son. His name is Rylan. And I'm an ex-wife to his father. We were married 15 years. And I decided to not divorce him as for many people would think, but I divorced him. Many people stay for children I left for my child because I realized that I was creating the same type of legacy. If we don't heal, then we don't deal with the things that we need to deal with. So my journey for this Transformation Thursday for all of you is to start introducing a very important topic. And then it applies to every single one of us. And if you think it doesn't apply to you, then you especially need to listen up. And that's part of if we truly wanna transform our life, we have to look at our own mental health and how we deal with the topic of mental health. Because even as I say to you, when, I, when you hear the term mental health, what comes to mind? Right, when we think about this last year, even just this last couple of weeks, right, with their new energy around that talk around mental health, thanks to the GOAT, right? Ms. Biles and her powerful move to withdraw from several events at the Olympic Games in order to care for her mental health. That was a power move. But she showed all of us that you can have the world's eyes on you and acknowledge that you should still be doing what's right for you, that you should always make your well-being a priority. But that wasn't the case in my own family. I remember this aha moment in my own therapy journey and dealing with my mother wound. Because as you see, if you grow up with a codependent mother who's so preoccupied with your addict father, there's neglect emotional neglect. And sometimes that's below the surface because we can't put our finger on it, but we can see it by the reflection of our relationships. So when we think about that emotional neglect, many people will deal with it in adulthood by busyness, by procrastination, by many other ways in which we don't prioritize our own mental health. So I remember sitting in the chair with my own therapist and I had this aha moment as I was dealing with my own mother wound. And my mother's still alive and I love her dearly. And there's a lot of healing that has taken place. So I speak about it for education reasons. Is that my mom would be the woman who's cooking and cleaning and busy and you know go do your homework or go play and scoot us around. But I had this moment when I was 13 years old, I didn't have the language for it back then, but as I share it with you, many of you can probably relate to this example, is we're at the table, my mom's cooking food, she's on the stove, putting the plates on the table, my sisters and I are sitting at the dinner table with my dad, and she's telling us to eat, eat. So we're all eating as she's still moving around, and I remember just looking at my mom, and she paused at the sink, and she ate her dinner at the sink. And that was a moment for me that changed my life because of this. I didn't have the language for it, but this is what was going through my mind that propelled the journey is, wow, okay, you're gonna cook, you're gonna clean for us, and you're gonna eat last. Well, that's not what I want. So in my mind, I didn't wanna have children. I didn't wanna be married. I did see this vision of driving my little Corvette with a briefcase because in my mind, if a woman had her own, if a woman had her own journey, she'll never be stuck eating at the sink after she cooked the meal for everyone else. And that doesn't even get invited to the table. So this aha moment for me, when I look at the journey of mental health, it applies to all of us because the way that it shows up in each and every one of our lives is going to be very, very different. Because when we think about the GOAT, Ms. Biles, Ms. Biles, 
you know, her choice opened even more of an important public discussion, not only just through COVID, but the importance of prioritizing and taking care and talking about our mental health. Because there are people that are listening to me right now who are struggling with anxiety, who are struggling with depression, who don't know how to manage stress. And there's nowhere to turn because they're told messages like, get over it, suck it up. This is life. Right? All these statements that we constantly hear that are just not helpful. And you probably were someone that may have said it. So I'm hoping to change that conversation so that we can all prioritize our mental health. So my goal, Dr. Janie Lacey's goal, is to expand the conversation to put the focus on mental wellness because healthy relationship building is important for all of us, but the most important one is the one with ourself. And that's how we're gonna thrive in our love and our life and our business. And when I looked at my own life and the keys that unlocked changing generations, changing things that I've saw, changing, breaking um, poverty and having financial success, having business success. It was changing the relationship with myself, not even my ex-husband, not even my mom, or not even the people who were pivotal in my life. It was with myself. So think about this for a minute. When we talk about our physical well-being, we don't just focus on our physical health, right? Many of us, like Joy and a few others, we did the 75 hard. But of course, physical wellness is about the steps we can take to make sure that our bodies are healthy. I heard of other people are still doing the 75 hard right now. But it's also about working to make sure our bodies are performing at their best and prepared for any challenges they may face, right? Whether we're, you know, like Ms. Biles and we're in the Olympics or, or about just having enough energy to keep running after our kids, and I had my child after 35, right? So ensuring that our immune systems are equipped to fighting off viruses. But when I think about why I'm interested in mental wellness for each and every one of you, it's because it's what helps weather the everyday disruptions and stressors that we all experience and that we all need to learn to manage. Because you show me how you handle your stress right? <laughs> what, what do you look like on your worst day? What do you look like on your best day? Think about that. But mental wellness, it is about our mental health, but it's also about our mental strength and our mental performance. So I want to go through those three things, our mental health, our mental strength, and our mental performance. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey before I give you five ways to learn to respond to life versus react to life. And then I want to open it up for some conversation and some question and answers. But let's think about for a minute our mental health. We know mental health is on the forefront this past year for many reasons. And I have just been singing hallelujah. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. I'm a national certified counselor. I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. And I teach for the International Institute of Addiction and um, uh, Professionals. It's, it's a if many of you are familiar with the Carnes Foundation, he, he's what we would consider the godfather of dealing with, in particular, those that have struggles with compulsivity and um, love relationships. So when we think about our mental health, we want to focus on learning to navigate, and this is not a bad word, mental illness and trauma, right? When we think about, as mental health therapists, we think about trauma, we we, you'll, you'll tend to hear it in two categories, right? There's the big T's, the big traumas. When you hear this scenario, you can say this is trauma. But many of us have experienced what we would consider small traumas, the small T's, right? My emotional neglect from my childhood, right? Being seen and not heard, and you came home and you had A's and you had the one B and the focus on the one B, right? There was a wound that started to be planted of not being good enough because that was enough of the small cuts along the way that the message, however good willing our parents were, was sending it that you can do better. You can do better. What about this? What about that? My mom came to my first basketball game. Why were you dribbling the ball like that? Like those little T's, when you have enough of them, it creates a wound. So for those of us that are parents, think about how we speak to our kids and the way in which we try to motivate them. Because when we are being proactive and we're building our children up and we're, we're it's something that we call 
the parental mirror. So our children, just as we are all adults, or we should be all adults in this room, we learned who we were primarily by the reflection of our parents' eyes. So think about how we speak to our children. So think about how you were spoken to. I bet you can remember when you were, when someone, whether it was a sibling or whether it was a parent that said something to you that tore through your soul and that you remember it. When you think about how you were wounded by your parents, even if it was just a conversation in therapy, right? We all have those moments. But the reason why we want to focus on mental health and we want to learn to navigate the mental illness and trauma is so that we can learn how to seek out support and assistance when we're struggling. Because what I found is, yes, we've had an explosion from last year. But what I found is that how people coped before COVID, the tools that they had in their shed, so to speak, it all came to a head. If we didn't have, we can only be as effective as the tools we've had in our shed. So if we don't learn to navigate our own mental health and to mental illness and our own traumas and to wake up and not be in denial about how things have harmed us and how we are passing that harm forward, then we're not going to seek out support and assistance because we're going to do some things what we call splitting. We potentially can live a dichotomous life. It's good or bad. So if I feel like I'm bad, I can't show that part to people. So if I ask for help or ask for assistance when I'm struggling, then that means there's something wrong with me. And I can't take the feeling that I feel like there's something wrong with me because my wound from my childhood means I'm not good enough, right? So unless we understand that we all have, it's like a spectrum, we all have different challenges with our mental health. We're not going to be able to ask for support or, exist, or existence until we're in a place of, of detriment, until you're going through a divorce or until some, till your child is sick or until you're financially detriment, to, to your financial detriment, right? There's not going to be times where you realize, you know what, I probably should talk to someone or I should probably reach out. But you know, you're like, ah, I'll get to another day. Because unless we do with our mental health, we're not going to make healthy choices and prioritize our own self-care. So this is not only just about making good decisions, it's also about taking care of our brains as part of our bodies. And that means everything, you know, that we constantly hear all the advice on Clubhouse about getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, eating the good foods that are rich in vitamins and minerals, and to take even medications when we know it will support our well-being. And I'm not pushing that one way or the other. But what about mental strength, right? When I hear several of our moderators talk about their mental grit, that's mental strength, right? So when we focus on our mental strength, it's about developing that resiliency. We talk about children being resilient, but what about us as adults, right? We can learn to be resilient. We can learn to really get into a position to become more mentally strong because it's going to be necessary to do all the hard things, all the things that we're listening on Clubhouse about getting our house in order, getting our finances in order, getting our mind in order. This is where that mental strength is going to come into play. To be able to do all those hard things, we have to be able to have each and every single one of us, every single one of us, there's no exceptions to this room. We have a window of tolerance and that window of tolerance is how we deal with stress. And if our window of tolerance is very small, we're going to be really reactive to life. You poke a bear and you see how quick they react. Oof, that tells you a lot about their unresolved potential trauma, their unresolved potential things that they haven't dealt with, right? So this is where we want to get to a place where we expand our window of tolerance so we can think clearly and we can make good decisions. Because that means that training and conditioning, so we need to rely on that strength, we can tap into it, right? Because if we're going to elevate each and every one of us, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our relationships, or whether it's just a peace of mind, we're also inviting more stress. We can't get the good without the bad. We have to be able to tolerate some of the bad in order to get the good. Because many people try to push out the bad in order to only get out the good. But when you push out the bad, you also push out the good. Did you follow me? Right? So we have to get that mental strength. So imagine being Miss Biles, right? She's standing in front of that beam. That's probably not the moment <laughs> that she wanted to start doing balance work or learning how to do the round off, right? It's the prep work for that challenge of, of her Olympic performance that took months and years. So developing your mental strength, it's gonna work in the same way. It's about taking the time daily to work on those skills that leads to resilience. And that way, when you encounter big challenges, you're already conditioned and ready to rise above them. So what about three? Mental performance. We did mental health, mental strength, and now I'm talking about mental performance. 
when we're focusing on mental performance, this is about developing our mindset. So when I look at what works for the Woman Redeemed program, which I now have been studying it, studied it for my doctorate project, right? It's There are three pillars to healing. One is mindset, one is the inner work, and one is the body work. So we cannot be all that we want to be without really looking at the way we think, how we behave, and all the things that get fed into our mindset, those limited beliefs, because that's what's going to really allow all of us to how we perform and how we move and how we even excel in all the roles that we hold. Mother, worker, business owner, friend, lover, all of those things. It's going to go back to our mindset. So when you think about, for a minute, the most elite professional athletes, you know, yesterday on my show, Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey, I had interviewed Sean James, a retired NFL player from the Minnesota Vikings. We, we discussed actually bullying, a great topic. So if you have not, little plug, go back and watch the episode. Absolutely phenomenal um, episode. And he's on a mission um, and, and really just love the things that he had to say. But when we think about those professional athletes, they work, a lot of them work with mental performance coaches. <laughs> think about it. The elite athletes work with mental performance coaches to help them find the right headspace to focus during the games and competitions. But when it comes to us, right, what do we do with our mindset? We'll just do what we normally do or how we've learned to cope as a child. And that may have been worked out for us as a child as a survival mechanism, but it can become a really daunting way to live as an adult. So when we think about those professional athletes who get those, those mental performance coaches to help them find the right headspace to focus during games and competitions. But really, all of us, we can all benefit from working on our mental performance. Whether you're at work, whether you're nine to five, you're an entrepreneur, don't you wanna be able to focus and deliver your best for your team? I know when I think about the moments where I'm like, oh, I snapped at Rylan. <laughs> It's when I'm, I'm not taking care of myself. It's probably when I didn't sleep. I'm hungry. You know, I have a lot on my mind. I'm not prioritizing my health, right? When you think about your moments that you like, oh, I wish that moment could just like roll the tape back and I do it over. Think about it. Usually it's tied to you're not taking care of yourself. You don't have a, you're not in the right mindset space, which will lead to, when we think about it from a cognitive behavioral standpoint, and I'm not a cognitive behavioral therapist, but it's from the place of what we think determines how we feel and how we feel determines how we behave. And if you think about your reactions to things, it usually happens really quickly in that, that cycle. So when you're interacting with your kid or your partner, right? think about it. Don't you want to show up as your best version of yourself to support them? I'm hearing this all the time in different clubhouse rooms. Best version, your best self. But it all sounds good, but show me your life. I mean, how are you really showing up in your life and doing the hard stuff, doing the mental work, the physical work, clearing out the clutter? It takes work. It takes work to be our best self. It's not just a little catchy hashtag that we all like to put. I mean, it takes work. Everyday work. And if you say you arrived, then you not you haven't arrived. You say you've arrived, you haven't arrived. Right? We're constantly a work in progress. And none of us should be ashamed of that. But think about this. When we learn the skills to improve our mental performance, it means that you're going to be able to approach each and every challenge and the disruptions with more focus and more calm and self-confidence. You know, when I decided to drop out of the MBA program, I had a mentor at the time. He's still at the University of Central Florida. His name is Dr. Dykin. And I remember I used to like watch this man be reamed out by the physicians. I mean, if you want to go to a mud fight of professionals, I mean, for me, it was right there in the in my healthcare field that I was his executive secretary while I was working through school. And I remember we're, we're in this um meeting and one of the physicians was just going at him. And in my head, right, the bubble in my head was like, you know, Dr. Dykin, show him who's the boss. And he just, I was just like livid for him. I just wanted to jump in, right? I have a big, big uh, thing for underdogs. So I felt like they were just ganging up on him and I'm just sitting there taking notes. And I remember he had said a few words to this physician who was so reactive and was going at him with just a few words. And I remember later on that day, I was driving home and I said, wow, I said, Janie, that's who I want to be. I want to be able to tell people F you with a smile. <laughs> and you know what that means to you? That means you can eat your meal 
even while you're under stress, because you're in so control of your emotions, that you're calm, you're self-confident, you're self-assured, you know who you are with focus. And that's the first time I've seen it actually live and in person. I always had a vision. We hear these catch these catchy phrases or things of we what we know we should do. But that day in that meeting, when I saw Dr. Dykin calm, cool, and collected, and to me, it's just attention filled, and I'm just like getting worked up for him. And I was driving home and that light bulb moment came on. That's what our mental performance is. That's what our mindset is. Don't you all want a piece of that, right? To tell somebody F you with a smile. <laughs> but when we strengthen those three pillars, right? We are, and that's that mental health, mental strength, our mental performance. You elevate your own strength and you begin to live more fully. And you don't need to be a GOAT athlete or to strive towards being a, you can strive to be the GOAT version of yourself. I always say go to the university of you. Get a PhD in your own history. You don't need to go to PhD in anyone else's history. Get a PhD in your own history. That elevates you on such a, an, another level. But we also know, and I've heard this, this comment so many times, higher levels means more devils. So why not get that mental performance so you are ready to kick some but, <laughs> right? So you'll know how to see them when they're coming. The vampires, they're going to suck you dry. The narcissists who are coming under COVID disguise, they're saying they're trying to be helpful, right? You'll be able to read all those people that are coming because you have a PhD in yourself. You're no longer abandoning yourself. Because think about this. If you grew up, and I'll use myself example, in a household where children are seen and not heard, then that means your parents probably changed your reality time and time again. And it doesn't just go away now that we're 25, 35, 45, 55, unless you've done the work, because that means that you will abandon your own intuition, your own feelings when the wind is blowing left, but someone tells you it's going right, right? So that's why we got to know who we are, because then we'll know we don't need to have any evidence. We, we know what that is. We can feel it because we have that intuition. We have a PhD in ourselves. We have the mental performance. We have the mental strength. So I want you to start this journey today for you to do the work from the inside out so you can truly thrive and be who you want to be, feel what you want to feel, and to walk out your unique God-given purpose. So you are in the Breakfast with Champions, the Millionaire Breakfast Club. And you know what? We now have 15 hours of programming each weekday from 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., plus the 6 a.m. noon to Saturday and the Club 111. I love that Club 111, so I hope you join me there on Sunday. But right now, go ahead and invite some friends into this room because I'm about to give you the five steps to help you respond versus react. So go ahead and invite some friends in this room. And better yet, invite them to join the Breakfast with Club, Champions Club on the Clubhouse as a member. Everyone is a member now. There are no followers in the latest app update. So your friends will only get to be a member. Well, not only get to be a member, if you tell them about it. I also hope you'll stop by, take a picture whenever you're listening and post it to your feed on Instagram and check in by tagging Breakfast with Champions Club with the hashtag Breakfast with Champions. And if you're taking a snapshot of this room, tag Janie Lacey as well. So let's walk out the five steps to help you respond versus react. And then I want to open us up for conversation and feedback. Because when we carve out what we need to do to put in the work for your mental wellness to transform your life, it is not an easy journey. You know, there will be all types of tests, triggers, personalities that are going to put you to the test. So you want to get to that next level? How about you master the level you're on? And that's you. Master how to learn how to respond to things versus react. Think about this. And I try to break things down in a very simple way that my nine-year-old son can understand. But every person, every one of us, we're being run by, we'll call it the subconscious program. You may have heard this term before. But everyone you see, including everyone that's in this room right now, has a personality consisting primarily of, you know, who we think we are, who we think other people should be. And it's a part of that program. Think about it. We're constantly projecting, reflecting, trying to change someone else's reality. To marriage therapist, people are constantly coming in trying to change their spouse. Only Janie, if he changes this, only if he does this, only if she gave me more sex, only if she did that, then life would be great. <laughs> 
But when we think about this, what children are exposed to becomes their program. What each and every one of you was exposed to becomes your program. And you know, there's a lot of research that supports and suggests that trauma can be passed down through our genes by at least three generations. We call this generational trauma. So why not the buck stop here? Why not go ahead and put in your flag right now and think about the people that are in your family that didn't have the opportunity or can't have the opportunity. But some of us are too afraid to upset the apple card to even change the generational curses that will now last three generations ahead of us if we do go ahead and put that stake in the ground. Because as if one lifetime doesn't give us enough to worry about, <laughs> we think about three generations, our kids' generations, their children and children, right? Sometimes it can feel overwhelming or sometimes it can feel like a blessing that you can be the change maker in your family because we all have particular experiences and depending on the quality of those experiences, right? We're constantly having experiences. Many of you've had experiences today, yesterday, last week. Our state of mind is gonna be impacted. So think about this. If as a child, I'm treated well, I'm nurtured, I'm loved, I'm protected and validated, then the circuitry of my brain progresses in a way that allows me to develop a healthy sense of self. But when we look at research, there's many, there is a very small percentage of people that grew up in secure households. That means that their pa parents had all the good stuff. They were mature. They knew how to give love and nurture consistent on a, on a consistent basis. But when we think about this, the self-recognition areas of my brain that are not struggling with, I'm not enough kind of thoughts, it really can make our brain a really actual cool place if we really tap into it. Because when you think about this, so many of us live in reaction to things that are happening outside of us. It's kind of like I call it the walking dead. You get outside and you're just waiting to walk, just waiting to react to life. You go to the office, react, get a phone call, react, right? Your kids do something, you react. You're constantly reacting to life. And then on, in your mind, you're reacting to things that didn't even happen yet, right? It's called anxiety. So you have all this worry and all this other stuff. You're projecting, what about this? Well, what if this happens? What if I can't pay this? And then on top of that, you have all the daggers and stuff that are coming at you in the world. You can't be happy if the lady next door to you is rude. <laughs> you can't move forward if your fiance has left the country with one of your bridesmaids. <laughs> and you can't move forward when you're diagnosed with a frightening illness because below the veil of consciousness, we fail to recognize how addicted one of my passions, how addicted we are to things, people, thoughts, and ideals that are tied to, we'll call it the 3D world. So as a result, we feel as if we're all victims of the outer world, the people in it and the circumstances that show up. But let me tell you something. Oh dear, there are things that are so much better than that. There is a better way. And I wanna introduce you to that. So if I believe that I'm capable, I'm lovable, and I'm worthy, and I go through life with a positive attitude, and I look forward to facing challenges, bring them on, <laughs> and meeting new people and experiencing new things, right? Then our brain, my brain, is full of those happy chemicals, we'll call them in those happy memories. But if people don't like me, that's okay, because I like me. Why do we not wanna have the mindset to do the performance, to look at our mental health, our mental wellness, our mental strength. If anything, it's to like yourself. Because you know, when I sit in therapy, I'll see many couples through the years where there's such an overreaching to try to get someone else to validate them. And when you like yourself, you move differently, you really do. So when you see people and you see their insecurity spreading out like a disease, you can wonder, you know, what really happened to, to her or him that they can't live with themselves? They can't like themselves because my amygdala is not super sensitive and my memory bank is not full of negative experiences of being bullied by my parents, siblings, and so-called friends. We can change all this. We don't have to deal with the onslaught of emotional flashbacks, the chronic illnesses brought about our childhood trauma and for the most part, live our life. Well, at least I live my life seeing my cup is half full but I want the same for you. I spend my time wanting to recover and moving on so I can get on with things that make me happy quick. Oh boy, there's lots of stressful moments. And I call them, there's moments where I get Godzilla moments where I just wanna tear things down, right? <laughs> but we wanna be able to deal with it and move on quickly so that we can get to the good stuff and download the good stuff in our in ourself and in our brain. 
Because when I love myself, and I do love myself, I have amazing boundaries. I don't take things personal. I can recover quickly because I know people have a right to do what they want, when they want, and how they want it. Unless, of course, they're causing me or someone else I love harm or engaging in criminal acts. Oh, boy. You, you want to see me get upset. <laughs> and a drum roll, please. I also have a right to send that person or people love and light and go about my merry way doing the things that I love with people who love me in return or I can learn to be like that duck. I want you all to be a duck. We want to shake the water off our back and refuse to allow someone else's projection or program to drag us down. But we first got to check our own program. So my internal monitoring system is pretty balanced for the most part. So I get it. Some days are going to be better than others. And no matter how someone else treats me, I know I'm enough. And I want you all silently to say that you are enough because you are enough. But no matter how much I tell you that, if you don't believe it, it'll bounce right back off you. But what happens when you're born into a situation where as a child, you are conditioned to see the world as a scary place? What if you grew up in a home that was like living in a nightmare rather than living in the Brady Bunch house? Imagine that small child under the age of 12 years old, 12 months old, where the world was cold, harsh, loud, unpredictable, and the basic needs were not met. The brain will be conditioned to perceive the world as harsh. Her or his brain will be wired itself to meet this perception. And if something does not happen soon, her or his entire life may be impacted by that experience that they've endured by the age of one. So imagine if Cindy Brady from the Brady Brunch, uh, I don't know about some of you, but I like the Brady Bunch. I still watch it with my son right now. It's a safe programming for him. <laughs> but imagine if Cindy Brady, she grew up in the Brady Brunch and she grew up with Mike Myers. As I say Mike Myers, I mean, if you know who Mike Myers is, <laughs> well, he was from the movie Halloween. And as the father, chances are Cindy Brady wouldn't be so bubbly and happy and bouncy all the time, right? Let's just keep it real. <laughs> so let's really think about this for a minute. So if my natural needs are frustrated and I go about developing ways to deal with that stress and that household and anxiety and not having my needs met that are created. And think about this. If my natural needs that I had as a child are not met, anxiety and tension are the results. And what I'll see many times in therapy will say, well, that's my childhood. I'm a new person. But show me how you love and how you receive love. And I will tell you how you were loved. So when we develop those defense mechanisms to avoid pain, and one of those defense mechanisms just might be linked to reactivity. I'm just saying. So what happens if your mother and father were alcoholics or narcissistic and you felt ignored? What if you were born to unpredictable circumstances and as a child, you were forced to live in a state of survival. What would happen to your brain if for your whole life you were stuck in some sympathetic nervous system loop which caused your brain to secrete cortisone 24 hours a day? Are you feeling a little anxious just thinking about that? Well, the reality is we live through our programming and that means that not so nice lady, that not so nice lady at the dry cleaners when you picked up your dry cleaning today or that snippy checkout guy at Home Depot, that they're living their pain just like the rest of us. And this is really important thing to remember because what saves us, in my opinion, as a society is our ability to put others or to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Do we know what this is called? It starts with a knee. <laughs> it's called empathy. We had a good conversation about empathy last night as one of the antidotes to bullying in my show last night with Sean James. So here are some five ways I want you to start thinking about training yourself and how to learn to respond rather than react to other people's trauma drama. And then I want to open up and hear some of your thoughts and feedback and questions. Number one, I want you to think about this. I want you to remember this. Where there is drama, there is trauma. <laughs> Let me say that to the people in the back. Where there is drama, there is trauma. So if you find yourself reacting versus responding, I want you to take some time to ask yourself why. Why is it you might be so highly reactive to things people say, do, don't say, and don't do? 
I also want you to consider how unmet childhood needs or trauma may make it difficult for you to think before you respond to some challenging event that has taken place outside of you. Because when we do this, it's going to allow us to increase our level, our PhD in uh, the school of me, our level of self-awareness, and it also helps you to get a clearer understanding of where your true power lies. Number two, I want you to think about finding the gaps between your thoughts. I know for someone who has low-grade anxiety that originated in childhood, my thoughts can have at one point which is very fast. And, you know, sometimes I say it's my, my New Yorker too, but that was just an excuse. But we want to find the gaps between our thoughts. Because when I was teaching myself to be less reactive to others, I remember noticing how garbled my thoughts were. They were all over the place. The words just seemed to stream endlessly without a space. And boy, if you would have saw me arguing with my ex-husband, <laughs> that would have been a reality show. But how could I learn to respond and think rather than react if I couldn't even match my thought? Think about this for a moment. So if you wanted to learn how to pitch a baseball, you'd have to be able to pick up one ball, one ball. But if you wanted to gain control over the speed and the accuracy of pitching that ball, you would have to focus on throwing one ball at a time. So if you're anything like me, <laughs> you're, you're like 50-armed baseball pitcher throwing wild balls all over the place without much accuracy at all. But that is the way most people react when negative people or emotions show up. So a couple of things that, that I've done and I still practice that help me and I wanna pass it on to you. And we hear these buzzwords, but you hear them for a reason. Meditation, it's a great way to find the space between your thoughts and I want you to practice it throughout your day. You know, there's calm, there's headspace, there's insight timer, there's so many aids or guides of things that can help you with meditation, prayer, having a prayer life that's consistent of quiet, devotional time. But I want you to also think about this, and you can do this in your head right now or later. So I want you to take a sentence that you've heard someone else say, and I want you to repeat it in your mind so it sounds like this. Any sentence will do. I took my car to get washed today. Slow that sentence down, right? So you find the space between each word and you sit in that space with your consciousness a while and notice how your thoughts naturally begin to slow down. We got to learn to slow our thoughts down. We got to learn to slow our thinking down. Because when we do this, it slows down the mental chatter, which is the first step to mastering our ability to think before we react. So number three, I want you to observe your emotions. This is what we call the observe and not absorb, because if we're absorbing the emotions, absorbing the things, we're going to react. So you want to be able to learn to observe your emotions like a surfboard on the ocean. All right, I'm in Florida. I live in Orlando, so we're 40 minutes from the beach. <laughs> but so surfboards, they float, and so should your awareness of emotions. So don't submerge yourself with strong emotions and instead learn to observe them like you would a surfboard. Many times we open our mouths before we even had time to process how we feel or what we're actually what we actually want to accomplish. Whew. You know, I've coached so many couples that want to feel closer, but old childhood wounds were getting in the way of them being able to actually work towards their their goals. I'm like looking at the looking at them on the couch. If I didn't have structure, and all they're doing is just reacting to each other. You know, and, and if you sit back, you know, for a moment when we sit back during the assessment period and you see how they communicate with each other, their, their, their brain is just thinking about what to say to the other or how to combat the other person's argument and just bing, ping, ping back and forth. So when we think about this, a man who feels underappreciated for working all day, who comes home to his wife, I've seen this so many times, he comes home to his wife who has been dealing with grocery shopping, laundry, cranky children, and her husband wants to have sex feels underappreciated when the husband walks in the door and wishes to be met with a smile and what's for dinner. And now you're going to put on that lingerie later tonight. When instead he is met with the wife almost in tears with baby poop all over her t-shirt who's clamoring for her husband to quickly run out for diapers after working all day. If he's not careful about thinking instead of reacting, there's no telling how far down a rabbit hole he might go. And then there goes their night. And then the next day we need to call Dr. Janie. 
And the same for the wife. There's no telling how a wife who's home all day with children cooking and cleaning might feel about a husband who comes home and spends no time with her helping her with the rest of her household chores. So if that husband and wife come from trauma backgrounds and usually spend their lives reacting to what is happening and we'll call it their 3D world, this simply, this simple, very common scenario can easily morph into something very dramatic and traumatic. Right? Most people don't come to most people don't come to marriage counseling just to learn how to communicate and strengthen their relationship. They come after there's been enough drama and trauma in their relationship. So if you are someone who seeks validation or approval from others, you know, you may you may not be happy unless someone else agrees with you. This is kind of how you can check yourself if you are approval seeking and looking for the validation of others. And if you can't get the, the minions in the crowd to follow you, boy, watch out. Who may not be happy because they need to feel special. They need to have validation from other people. You may not realize just how hooked you are on that 3D world and thus your faulty childhood program can be causing you to live in that state of reactivity. So we want to, I'm always a big believer that we want to be considerate of what other people think, but we don't ever want to determine our life decisions by what other people think. And if you want to balance about not being to the extreme and saying, I don't care about what anyone else thinks, because that's the balance, because to a certain degree, you have to be considerate of what other people think, but you never determine your life by what other people think. So I want you to try this. If you feel angry and you bring it up and you look at it, you feel it, you, you bow down to it, you honor it, you embrace it, you love it, you witness the anger as evidence that something has taken place that's upsetting you. It's like an alarm system. And then you look at it as that surfboard on the ocean and watch it as it bobs and weaves. The longer you observe your anger without pushing it away, the quicker it will fade. This is called emotional detachment. I can do a whole masterclass on emotional detachment, but it can get you out of just about any rabbit hole. And then I want you to consider this goal. Do you want to get along with this person? Do you want to finish this project? Do you want to get out of the grocery store quickly without incident? Do you want peace in your life? Do you want to be one of those people that can stay open to love no matter what? If so, working on detaching rather than reacting is the way that you want to go. Number four, smart people never dive headfirst into muddy water. The worst thing we can do is react when we are angry all right, we have a whole a premier anger management program at Life Counseling Solutions. And let me tell you, just in case when I say this, people automatically go to men. That workshop is half filled with women. <laughs> because our emotions have kicked up our old trauma, right? Words can either create or destroy. And it is said that the tongue, right, is mightier than the sword and that it be, that is because of words can cut through to our souls with the vibrations of their intentions. So people who seek peace must consider what their goal is. If our goal is to be more loving, then we must learn to be more accepting of others and we must train ourselves to be more willing to not react when someone does something or says something that is triggering. In some cases, you may have to respond. You may have to file a police report. You may have to do something to protect yourself from a predator or a bully who may have made you their target for prosecuting behaviors. But still, even under those circumstances, the best practice is to learn to think and respond rather than live in a state of reactivity to others' actions, inactions, words, and unspoken words. Whatever you do, do it with love and with a clear head. And remember that emotions do not run in rational channels. You want to up your emotional intelligence by practicing detachment. And I promise you, you will be amazed at how much better you begin to feel. Number five, and then we'll open it up for some comments. In me, there you are, and you there I am. Let me say that again. In me, there you are, and in you, there I am. Try to remember that all people are on the same path. We all want the same things. We want peace, freedom, security, liberty, joy, happiness, contentment, and love. But if you have a brain, you are dealing with programs that are not your fault, and so is everyone else. But what resists persists. We've heard that plenty of times, and there's so much truth that we can unpack there. If I choose to hate someone who thinks unlike myself, I'm resisting someone else's right to think differently than me. And one day I will discover someone is going to resist my point of view as well. So as we learn to think more clearly, we consider that our brothers and our sisters are dealing with their own trauma drama. We begin to understand that the worst thing we can do is to continue to live our lives in reaction to other people's drama. 
We can learn to accept people where they are, even if they we don't like them, agree with them. We can send them love and a light and hope that whatever worries them is soon on is soon resolved. And sometimes I always like to say that means kicking them up to the balcony. They don't have to have front row seats to our life. Or sometimes we got to call the bouncer and they just need to be removed. But either way, we can refuse to resist what we cannot. We, we can refuse to resist what we cannot change and work within the powers of love and light instead. We don't have to walk around feeling like an infected red toe and live our lives afraid of what other people say or do. No, 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 sister, or brother. Mm -mm. We can accept that people who hurt people, smear our names, act vindictively, come from trauma. We can see that these experiences are our chances of snapping any cords tied to such experiences ourselves. Because once you are no longer impacted by what other people think about you, it is like you have moved up the spiritual, emotional, cognitive, neurological, and vibration ladder. You, we, can accept that we have a right to distance ourselves from others with love in our heart for them. We can work from anywhere in the world with our thoughts and with our open hearts. We can use our minds to see people the way we wish to see them so that when others look into our eyes, all they see are the God goals within them. This is the way we help our brothers and sisters as we learn to also help ourselves. So I do hope this has helped someone today in helping you understand some steps that you can use to help train your brain to learn how to respond versus react. So I'm Dr. J.D. Lacey, and I'm going to open it up to my panel here for some comments. I see Joy flashing her mic and Tamara, so let's go Joy and Tamara. I literally cannot, like, get my finger off the mic, like... Oh, amazing. Dr. Janie, I feel like we have shared so many stages, so many perspectives, um, so many conversations. But in the past hour, I really feel like I got to know you. Not just your personal story, a little bit about your life, your background, and just like hearing you in your own zone of genius is just, I can't stop smiling. So what an incredible segment. And I'm like, okay, Thursday nights. Um, here we go. I can't wait to be here again. Congratulations. And I'm so freaking proud of you. Thank you so much, Joy. You always bring the joy and the love and light is what exudes you. Thank you, my sister. Hey, Tamara. Holy moly, sister. We had the time to share on both your podcast and mine, and it was not even... I feel like we just scratched the surface. And obviously, that's the process of getting to know one another, right? Um, but the way that you eloquently streamed this together tonight was incredibly impactful. And you know my story. And so every single piece was just like hitting me in the gut. Um, and the realization that this is not information for the one. This is the information for the masses. So to be able to share it in this way and to continue to partner with you in that and spread it to the world it's so critical for the wholeness factor, right? For people to emerge into their full wholeness. And I love the very ending is what I see in you honors what is also in me. And that just allows all of us to rise and stand together. So thank you so much. Thank you, my sister, Tamara. You exude a woman redeemed. And I appreciate you and continue to shine your love and your light. Thank you, Tamara. Dr. Janie, this is Tracy in the red dress. Hi, that Tracy. Was, hi there. That was absolutely incredible. Thank you so very much. This, this is a very important um, discussion. Dr. Janie, as you know, in the African-American community, we don't always reach out for support. And it's been a stigma in our community to reach out for help when it comes to seeking help for our mental well-being. How do you how do you suggest or recommend that we get over that stigma of asking for support when it comes to mental health? This is Tracy. I'm complete. Thank you so much, Tracy, for asking that question. You know, that's been a passion and a walk that I've walked this, especially these past 10 years is for me as a licensed clinician is I've partnered and I spoke in multiple, especially African-American churches, because a part of that is opening up dialogue and conversation. And for me, I try to embody that I am a psychotherapist and I am from African-American descent and I am just like you. So I open up conversations and I change. A lot of times what I found 
is when I'm um, on panels and I'm dialoguing in the African American communities in my uh, community is a lot of people think that they're going to be laying on a couch and someone's going to be waving a clock and, you know, and trying to make them talk bad about their mom. So, you know, the first thing is having conversations about what therapy is. And I've heard several times, and this is very true, and I'm a supervisor for the state of Florida and for the organization ITAP, not all therapy is created equal. So when people sometimes have had a bad experience or, you know, if you go to a therapist, sometimes they'll say, you know, I'm talking about in some of the panel conversations, that means you're crazy and you just go to, you pray about it, right? So there's so many myths and there's so many stigmas, especially still in our African-American community. But the one thing I'm proud of, Tracy, is that I'm starting to see more African-American clinicians. So for me on the clinician side, it's having conversation, it's partnering with other African-American clinicians, and it's being in the spaces and creating spaces that are safe. And I'm also a woman of faith, so I'm a Christian. So I also like to bridge the gap between biblical context and psychology because it's all foundational. It's just a matter of the language that you use. So creating and showing that it's all um, intertwined and it's the safe, it's, it's not It's not one or the other. So, you know, you and I can have a continue to have a conversation offline about that because it's an area that I'm passionate about. But if I had to give you a quick a quick um, summary of that, it's starting to have conversations. And most of the time, it's if you yourself have had experiences, talking about it from your own experience and creating that safe space for people to ask questions. And I think from a clinical standpoint is people going to therapy, not from a place of something is wrong, but just as we have a yearly checkup when we go to our physician, we get lab work, we get our, our heart checked, right? It's the same thing as the going to having mental wellness checkups, is just going and having a safe space, and especially with licensed professionals, as we are abide by confidentiality laws. And I work too hard to break anybody's confidentiality. So, you know, so, so, so that would be uh, my quick um, answer to your question, Tracy. Thank you for that question. It's a wonderful question. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I love how you said, just like we go to the doctor to get a checkup, you know, we should go and get a annual mental wellness checkup. That is that is really key. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. Hey, I saw, uh, yes. Ms. Ramon, whenever I have a turn, I'd love to ask you a question, but please, I'll wait to my turn. Oh, okay. I think that was uh, Ramon. Yes, Ramon. Oh, thank you. Since you opened the door, I just wanted to ask you, I am one of those people who thought that psychologists, psychotherapists, people like yourself, not you personally, I think you're great, but you know, the field is as they tease and say woo-woo. So I guess my question is when you think of E.T. the hip hop preacher or Glenn Lundy for that matter, T.D. Jakes, I can relate to them and feel that when they talk, it's soothing and they could help me. But the others that we see on TV and et cetera, sometimes they have highbrow accents, they talk slower, just sit back, put a piece of coal in your hand. You know, uh, weird stuff. And so can you just demystify that for us who don't get it? Can you just talk about that for a few more seconds, the different types or what's wrong, what's right? Maybe we identify better with others because I am on that side, not in a bad way, I'm not being negative, but just, you know, talking openly here, just sometimes seeing that I am like, nah, you know what? Let me just stay away from this lady or this guy. They're a bit weird. Help me understand that. Absolutely. I'll answer quickly. And then I want to turn it over to the lovely dear uh, Dr. Rowe. And then I want to give Jason an opportunity to um, speak. So I know you're flashing your mic. So very quickly, just as in real estate, just as in um, the, the physical health, just as in you're hiring a financial advisor, you know, all the all the things. Right. There is a, a specific thing that is, starts with an R that's important for me. And I would imagine it's also important for many people in this room, Ramon, and that's rapport. So when you talk about the Glenn Lundy's or TD Jakes, those are my people, right? Because they can speak in a language that I like to, to, to listen to. But there may be someone who has more of a lecture style, as you say, that has the glasses, that speaks monotone. I'm going to be sleeping in 10 minutes. So I think a part of that, when we look at it from a clinical therapy standpoint, from the clinical side of it, yes, we have to have the tools, we have to have the education, we have to be able to, for me as a trauma therapist, I have to be able to have the different things to be able to help you move through it and be able to take care of myself first, right? Because there's also vicarious trauma that can happen. But part of that is rapport. So when you are deciding to go to therapy or deciding to hire someone, we essentially work for you. And not all therapists are going to be able to 
get Ramon to open up because if Ramon doesn't feel safe by talking to, you know, Dr. Bob, because Dr. Bob is just looking down at his pad and he's making notes and Ramon is more of a personal person, he's going to need a therapist that almost matches that. So I'm a therapist that has a therapist and I'm a big believer that if you're going to therapy, you want your therapist to be in therapy. So my personal therapist has more of a personality that I can vibe with. And I need someone who's um, no fluff, direct, tell me, you know, Janie, that's your stuff or that's someone I need for them to plain talk to me and to tell me and not mince their words. So finding the right person for you is going to make a better experience because you're going to be more open to it. So think about it when you go buy your house. If you don't like your realtor, you, you know, it's, it's not going to create a, the best experience to buying that house. But if you have a realtor that you feel like is listening to you, they're working for you, they're getting, getting you, and you feel like they're enjoying their job as well, it's going to make a difference for your experience. So that would be my quick um, answer to that. And, uh, and Jason, if you want to go ahead and make a, a comment real quick, because I want to turn it over to Dr. Rowe. Oh, yes. Thank you, Dr. Janie. Uh, every time I hear you speak, it's fire. But uh, Ramon actually asked my question. <laughs> so um, I guess I would uh, maybe pivot. And I, I have a quick question about, you know, what should someone expect? Like if they're going to therapy for the first time, like how do they prepare for that? Do you do you make notes or do you or do you just go into it and kind of see where it goes from there? How does that process start? So two quick. Great question, uh, Jason. Two quick answers. The first thing is have a goal. Why do I want to go to therapy? What do I want to work on? So if I want to go to work on my relationship, that would be different than, you know what, I've just been feeling down going out of COVID. That would be different. So first understand what you want to your goal of therapy to be, because that's going to determine the sex, the second step. That's going to determine who you're going to call because you want to, and this is advice for everyone that enters a therapeutic process. You want to work with someone who has experience in the thing that you want to work on. Because again, not all therapists are created equal. So if you want to work on relationship, you want to go to a relationship therapist. And what I would suggest most people, if you want to understand who they are, is can ask, well, can I do a 15 minute consultation with them? I just want to make sure they're a good fit. Or some therapy centers have a triage system where you can ask the person some questions about them. Well, how do they normally work with this person with this problem? So remember that therapists work for you just as physicians work for you. And you want to make sure that you understand if my knee hurts, then I want to go to this particular doctor. If I have an allergies, I want to go to an allergist. So you want to go to someone who has experience and knowledge and training in the area that you want to see results in. So that will be my quick um answer Jason. Great uh, question from you and Ramon, but I um, know I'm over and I want to give it to my sister. And Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.